Well, really good to see all of you here, and thank you for all of you who are joining us online. If you want to find your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to be continuing our series on Christian living. We're going to look at a subject that is rarely ever talked about. Did you know that in the United States currently, according to Pew Research just completed just a couple months ago, four out of ten American adults are single. Did you know that? That is a staggering number, and the trajectory is that it continues to rise. And does God have a plan for singles? You know, are some people that are single and they desire to be single, they, they believe that's God's calling in their life, and then there are some singles that are like, well, I'd really like to be married. Does God have a plan for singleness? There are a lot of good books, articles, magazines, conferences on marriage. I've, I've read some, been to marriage conferences. There's a lot of really good material there, not so much when it comes for singles. In fact, some of the books that are written for singles is just kind of how to cope or just to kind of get you through this season so that you can get you mar- happily married uh, hereafter. But we have to ask this question, is singleness more than just a pass-through phase on the road to marriage. Is there a divine purpose for singleness that is fulfilling and enjoyable? I mean, have you really thought about singleness? Do you know you most likely spent the first two decades of your life single, right? A few exceptions, but for the most part, you were single. Uh, Many people get married, but there are some that do not. And if you are married, have you come to the realization that it's very likely that you will be single again, through either through the, the death of your spouse, or perhaps, and hope this wouldn't happen, but divorce or abandonment? And do you know that in eternity, we are all going to be single? So what is God's divine purpose in singleness? It's got to be something more than just kind of passing through, waiting for some sort of fairy tale wedding, and you live happily ever after. And if you want to know what God's divine plan is for singleness, then you want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I invite you to do so. Our relationship with Jesus awakens us to the reality that singleness is a good gift. Take a look. Chapter 7, beginning in verse 7, Paul writes this, Yet I wish that all men were even as myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. So Paul says both marriage and singleness, they are both gifts. And having already talked about earlier about the responsibilities and the roles in marriage, he does that in 1 Corinthians 7. He also does it in letters like Ephesians and Colossians. He now starts highlighting the reality that singleness is a good gift. And he says, I wish that all of you would have this gift. I wish that you were like myself, single. And from everything we can tell, the Apostle Paul was never married. And yet he said, he says, verse 7, however, each man has his own gift from God. Singleness, marriage, both are gifts. One in this manner, another in that. And furthermore, he says in verse 8, 
But I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. That word unmarried appears four times in the New Testament, all four times in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It speaks of those who were, are not married. Either they have chosen not to marry, um, or they are, have um, been widowed, divorced, or abandoned. They are the unmarried. And he speaks to those who are unmarried or widows, those whose spouse has passed away. He says, it's better if you remain even as I. It's good for them if they remain even as I. But, verse 9, but if they do not have self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So he says, if they don't have the ability to exercise self-control in the area of sex, that they seemingly the temptation is just overwhelming, he says, it's better then to marry. If they haven't had the growth in their life, they don't seem to have the abilities, he says, it's better to marry than to burn with passion. And this has the idea of a passion that was talked about in like Greco-Roman literature. You have Cupid with his fiery darts, and it would ignite passion according to their their stories, their myths. And Greeks and Romans thought, well, that's all good. And you just kind of do whatever you feel like, right? And passion is great. And hence, uh, you had all the wreckage in their society to show for it. Pretty similar to what you see in our culture. The Bible says and clearly shows that God has divine design to not only people, but relationships. And the passion, the love, this this is meant in the context of marriage. He says, but if you're burning with passion, he says, it's better to marry. Now, in preparing to bring this to you, I've actually been doing a lot of reading, especially reading of singles who are authoring articles and, and books. And I want to share with you from their perspective and the insights on texts like this and on the subject of singleness. So one of these guys is a guy by the name of Marshall Segal, and he writes that you should pursue marriage if temptation overwhelms you, speaking as a single man, and you need a God-honoring way to satisfy that longing. He also writes that you should get married if it's abundantly clear that you need a helper to carry out God's call on your life. He even went on to write this, that or it's absolutely abundantly clear to others that you need a helper to get through life, right? And you're like, oh, well, that explains me, right? Okay. But you think about it. You pursue marriage if, you're in, if you see yourself like that. You see, this is kind of how I'm functioning. On the other hand, you pursue singleness if you have the ability of exercising self-control in the area of sex. And you can also see that there is a significant calling on your life that simply could not be fulfilled or fulfilled as well if you were married. If God has given you the ability to be single, given you a specific calling on your life, friends, I want you to know that is God-honoring, and that's from him, and it is actually a gift. Now, Nathan Cowles uh, writes that, you know, singleness doesn't oftentimes feel like a freshly unwrapped Christmas gift, okay? And he's coming from a perspective that um, living day-to-day as a single can be a challenge. In fact, you read passages like this, 
And uh, he says, you know, but if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. And he's like, you know, how is it that this is a gift? And he says, from my research in heart um, discovery, really kind of diving into the heart of these issues, he said, this is what I've discovered thus far. First of all, he said that being single gives you the gift of time. He says, as a single, the amount of flexibility in my schedule compared to that of someone who is married is unparalleled. I get the opportunity to serve my local church. He's involved in multiple ministries in very unique ways. He says, what a great joy this has been to pour myself out for the kingdom of God, all because I have the gift of time. And he says, as long as it lasts, I want to maximize it. Let me give you another gift he highlights. The gift, gift of deeply diverse friendships. He said, in my singleness, I've been able to develop a multitude of friendships that have benefited my spiritual walk. And he talks about not only his friendships, but even mentors in his life. He's got time, and he's able to build deep relationships that are of great benefit to him. And then he said the third, the gift of priorities. Married people are tied to the world in ways that singles aren't, just aren't. Now, the things that married people are tied to, spouses and family, are in themselves precious gifts, of course. I would never want to minimize that. But we as singles can much more easily prioritize based on eternal things, not nearly as weighed down by practical family considerations. It's Elizabeth Elliot, that great missionary, that gave us this quote. God never denies us our heart's desire except to give us something better. And Nathan said that quote from Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot is what he's holding on to. He says, that makes all the difference for me. I've been given a gift. I want to maximize that gift for his glory. Another person that's written on the subject of singleness is a single woman by the name of Jill Henry. Uh, she has served as a missionary for 20 years. She's still vitally involved in missions uh, and ministry work. Here's a picture of Jill. And uh, she actually highlighted what it's like to be a single in the Christian world. And she refers to this, this um, false kind of equation that's out there. She says, you know, the Bible is full of wonderful promises from God, but there's no promise or formula in Scripture that says this. Like, abide in Christ, carry out your call or your mission, and it equals marriage. She says, that's kind of the impression that I get. You cultivate your relationship with Jesus, you abide in him, you fulfill your ministry, you're actively involved. In her case, she spent 20 years overseas. That equals marriage. She said, you know, really? She says, that formula misses the gospel. In fact, she went on to talk about like Tim Keller, you know, and Pastor Keller has done a real fine job to help us understand that anything that you find your sense of purpose, identity, happiness, your true sense of joy and contentment, if it's not God and Christ, it's an idol. And Jill pointed out this, marriage is not to be the goal in life, living out the great commission is. I get it. 
If you're not a Christian, that doesn't make any sense to you, right? In fact, you live, we live in a culture that says, you just got to get married, right? That's where it's all happening. And some married person, that, that relationship, that's going to fix all your problems and your life is going to be absolutely wonderful. And we'll talk about that. But you just think about the divorce records. But what she's saying is that's not the goal for us as Christians. The goal isn't, I just got to get myself married. The goal of Christians is what? Does anybody know? To fulfill the Great Commission. Whether you're single or you're married, that is the goal. And she says, she wrote this, do I want to be married? Absolutely. Marriage is a beautiful picture of God's love for his bride, the church. I've dreamed about being married and being a mom since I was a little girl. Then I became a Christ follower, and I realized that as much as I desired to be married, there was more to life's purpose than marriage and children. And she goes on to write like that she could not make it apart from God, his presence, and his promises. And she highlighted a couple of promises that are so very meaningful to her, like Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, where it says, The Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave nor forsake you. And she also quoted Romans 8, 28, For God works all things together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Friends, marriage is not a promise from God. It's a gift. So is singleness. And you need to know something. Marriage is a ministry. Marriage is a ministry. And like many people have no idea what I'm talking about when they're just kind of in the dating world. Like, what? Because so often it's all about me and what I'm going to get out of this and how this person is just going to be absolutely wonderful and make my dreams come true. Marriage is a ministry. It's a glorious ministry, lovely, highly worthwhile, God-glorifying, but it is a ministry. And you need to know that Christ completes us, not your spouse. If you got the idea that, well, if I'll get married and it's just the right person, that real special someone comes along then I am going to be fulfilled, then I'm going to be complete. You need to know something. If you sense that you're incomplete as a single, I can assure you that when you get married, you are still going to be incomplete. In fact, you're going to make things a lot worse. The problems are going to be complex because now all of your needs aren't met. You've got unrealistic expectations. You're forcing them upon this other person who's sinful and got issues just like you and perhaps even wrong expectations. We got ourselves a cauldron for disaster. You need to know, though, Christ completes us. That's Friends, that is the gospel. What's missing in your life? What truly brings joy, purpose, fulfillment? The only one who can really redeem you and forgive you of your sins, cleanse you from your past, is Jesus. And there are a lot of singles that are highlighted in the Bible, right? I mean, you've got like Anna or the Apostle Paul. We have no record that like Mary or Martha or Lazarus were ever married. Jesus, of course, himself was single. And then uh, like, look at some of the Old Testament folks. Like, did you know that God told Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 2, to not get married? The importance of his ministry and frankly, all the challenges that he was going to face in his particular ministry would 
would not be able to be fulfilled if he was married. And then uh, you've got the book of Ruth, a book that we're going to start studying next week. Really, it's a book about singles. Yeah, Ruth, Naomi, Boaz. You know what? These are all singles, right? I mean, Boaz, pretty impressive, running a major farming operation, taking care of the poor, having lots and lots of employees, understanding the times, being a compassionate guy. These guys are all singles, these guys and gals. Friends, I want you to know it's our relationship with Jesus that awakens us to this reality, that singleness is a good gift. But I want you to also see that singleness is a great gain. Take a look at verse 25. Chapter 7, now concerning virgins, Paul writes, I have no command of the Lord, but I give you an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. So Paul is saying, listen, Jesus didn't give a command on this. You will not find a command from him in the gospel accounts like you do on like divorce and remarriage. But he is writing as one who is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It is on the exact same authority of Scripture. And so he says, verse 26, I think then that this is good in view of the present distress that is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life and I'm trying to spare you. He's pointing out here, in light of the present distress, Paul could read the times. There were challenges ahead for Christians. How does he know that? He himself has been experiencing them in some pretty significant ways. But he can see that the temperature is rising. Persecution is beginning to happen. And about 10 years from the time that the God had Apostle Paul write this letter, you got an emperor in Rome called Nero. Crazy. Burns the city of Rome. Needs a scapegoat. And you know who he named as the... I'll tell you who caused the big fire here in Rome. It's these upstarts, these Christians. And the persecution got amped up. In fact, he'd burn some of them alive in his garden parties after dipping him in pitch and tar. And this persecution started reverberations throughout the entire Roman Empire. And Paul said, in light of these kind of distresses, frankly, it'd, better, it'd be better not married. And he knows. He knows from firsthand experience. I mean, when the Apostle Paul, when God led him to go on these missionary journeys... Did these communities, these cities just kind of roll out the red carpet, say, oh, we are so excited to have you. We've heard of good things about you and your message. Would you please come share this with us? Was that, you know, I've read through the book of Acts. That's not how this got played out. It was oftentimes met with scorn, ridicule, and if that didn't work and they couldn't run you off, sticks, stones, they'd even try to kill you. In fact, you know, one time they thought he was dead. If Paul was married, that just wouldn't work. You know, because when you're married and you go through challenges and difficulties like that, guess what? You both do. How could he possibly be responsible for a wife or a family and be able to do those things, be gone for an extended period of time and going through such horrific hardships 
being imprisoned. You can't. And he wasn't. But he says, hey, the time is coming. Things are going to get difficult. And there are stresses that come in marriage. I mean, real difficulties. When you take a person who is selfish, prideful, prone to not always telling the truth, um, having issues, insecure, and you marry them to another person that's just like that, guess what you got? You've got a lot of challenges and a lot of difficulty. In all my years of pastoral ministry, when I look at all the counseling and what our team goes through and what we face, by far it comes from married people, not singles, because of just the challenges that are found there. And so Paul is writing, hey, listen, you need to be fully aware of what's taking place. And he goes on to say in verse 29, he says, I'm trying to spare you. Verse 29, but this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none. And those who weep as though they did not weep. And those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. And here he's addressing, like, you don't want to be so swept up in the emotions of life or the things of this world that you miss the importance of investing in the kingdom. And it's so easy to be done, right? I mean, you listen to like people and they're, why they're getting married. They're like, oh, we're just so in love and it's all about emotion, emotion, emotion. Have you ever thought about these things? Have you even done any premarital counseling? Oh, no, we don't need that or what's that or why would that be important? Let me assure you, whatever foundation you're laying before marriage is going to be revealed when you are married. And if you don't have much of one, get what it, ready for some buildings to come down. It's going to be chaotic. It might seem more like an earthquake, right? Than happily there ever after. And he's saying, don't get so caught up in the things of this world and your emotion. Think sensibly. This is great, like, premarital advice here. He says, you can have real trouble. You know, the word trouble means pressed together, under pressure, taking two people who who desperately need a Savior. Uh, if If you're Christians, you have one, but that doesn't change the fact that there are still probably some issues in your life. And if you are a Christian married to a non-Christian or married to a, a believer that's not real mature and prone to be awful, you know, off, awfully emotional, guess what? Your, your problems are going to be multiplied. You need to understand those things. And that's what he is addressing here. Marriage is going to have conflicts and problems, and they don't go away when you're married. If you've got pride, greed issues, sexual issues, you're involved in pornography, You've got some major issues going on in your life, deep-seated insecurity. Marriage is not going to resolve those issues. In fact, it's going to highlight them. And now you've brought another person into it. And it, it, it only gets exponentially more difficult. Paul is writing and saying, hey, listen, I am trying to spare you. Verse 32, but I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord how he may please the Lord. That's verse 32. And he says, verse 33, but one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. See that? Body and spirit. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world 
how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. That's the point. Marriage isn't going to resolve your issues. What marriage will do will highlight them. The purpose, what God has called us to as Christians, is that, like he says in verse 35, so that we would have secure, undistracted devotion to the Lord. That's the calling of the Christian, devoted to him, his life, his ministry, his worship, and his work. That is the singular devotion, whether you're a single or you're married. And marriage is going to highlight some of the major problems. Now, I want you to know, the gospel of God's grace brings forgiveness. There's hope. If you've got issues like pride and greed and pornography and sexual issues, I want you to know there's hope. Where's the hope? It's not in your spouse. The best your spouse can do is support you and point you to Jesus, because only Jesus can really bring true resolution, health, healing, and the wholeness that God provides. And so, friends, perhaps the greatest temptation in singleness, is to assume that marriage will meet our needs, solve our weaknesses, organize our lives, and unleash our gifts. Friends, God does that. It's Christ. And think of it. Being single, that's not just like the minor leagues moving to marriage. I want you to know, singleness is a gift from God. It's of great gain. Think of some people that you know that have done significant work in God's kingdom, are presently doing it. Some of them are single. Let me give you some examples. Like, for instance, C.S. Lewis and his writings. For the most part of his life, he was single. Uh, John Stott, pastor, theologian, excellent author, deep, like knows God deeply, writes in ways that are just so insightful of the nature of God. Single his entire life. Many missionaries, single, so they can fulfill God's call in their life, oftentimes in some pretty difficult places. Um, when you think of singles, you want a you life well-lived as a single? Look at Gladys Elward. Remember her? 19, in, the, in the 1900s, this, this woman had a, after she came to Christ as an adult, she had just this strong desire and passion to take the gospel to the many lost people in China. And of course, she was just put down time and time again. No way. You're single. You're a woman. You're just not going to be able to hop on a train and go from England all the way to China. And it's just not going to work. And it's not like this woman was just like brilliant and a master of all the languages. In fact, education was a real challenge for her. And yet she had God. And he makes all the difference. And so, at the age of 34, Gladys Selward, 1936, she arrives in Yangcheng, China. And she immediately, I mean, as soon as her feet get off that train, she goes to work. You know, one of the horrific practices in China, maybe you've heard about it, it's called foot binding. They would take young girls, and they would break all the bones in their feet and, and just form them in like to be as small as possible. They thought that that was an attractive quality, and it was torturous for these women. She was instrumental in getting that stopped and ceasing. She saw all these orphans, no one taking care of these children. So she started an orphanage 
um, to, I mean, like, wow, that's going to keep you pretty busy. She kept winning and garnering the respect of all the people in the city. Um, There would be travelers that would be coming through, so they started an inn, her and this other missionary. And these women, they would invite these travelers in, they'd feed them a nice meal, and they would tell them about Jesus. Stories from the Bible kept presenting the gospel. Gladys Alward commanded such respect that there was a prison riot that took place in their city. And because she was so well-known and so respected, they summoned her to end the riot. Now, Gladys Alward, uh, make no mistake, she was a towering figure at four feet, ten inches, okay? And they brought her in, and the warden, they couldn't, they couldn't calm this riot. And this warden makes this statement. You tell us your God is all-powerful. Is he or is he not? You end the riot. And she immediately, think of this, a little gal walks into that prison. She approaches the largest prisoner who is wielding a meat hammer, a meat cleaver. It's all bloody. The largest one, she walks up to him and demands that he stop and give her the meat cleaver. And he does. And the riot ends. Talk about guts. Talk about courage in Christ and bravery. Indeed, the power of God is displayed in her life. There was um, an incident when the Japanese invaded China in World War II. You may have not done a lot of studying on this, but I want you to know the Japanese were ruthless. And it, I mean, there are still scars today. If you want to understand a little bit of what's going on with China and Japan, they have memories of what was done to them by the Japanese. And um, Gladys gathered the hundred kids in her orphanage and they had to literally flee through the mountains, she took all of those children safely through. But while she was leading him through the mountains, she was shot by the Japanese. And despite the fact that she was wounded, she brought all 100 of those orphans safely to a destination. But then she became extremely sick and yet survived. And what's not, you know, some of these things you're like, oh yeah, I remember seeing that movie about her, I read that book, or what you may not know is that during her journey in her life, as she was fulfilling her ministry, a man that she deeply respected asked if she would marry him, and she declined because she knew that she couldn't fulfill the mission God had given her if she would marry him. She saw singleness as great gain. Friends, For all of you who are single, and we have a lot of singles in our church, make the most of the gift that God has given you. You know, it's easy to actually kind of waste gifts, right? You can waste the gift of marriage. You can waste the spiritual gifts that God has given you. You know, you can waste the gift of actually being single. Marshall Seagal, writing as a single, said this, Paul may have been right about our freedom from spousal concerns. But in an iPhone, iPad, iPod, whatever I want world, well said, single people never have trouble finding their share of diversions. In fact, if you're like me, you crave diversion and tend to default there. Whether it's the latest TV shows, working out, fancy eating, endless blogging and blog reading, surveying social media, or conquering the latest game, 
We might call it resting, but too often it looks, smells, and sounds a lot like we're wasting our singleness. Friends, God had chapter 7 written, so that doesn't happen. We don't want to waste the gifts that God has given us, whether it's the gift of marriage or the gift of singleness. And the mandate is to complete the great commission that God has given us. It's the priority of every Christian, no matter what your marital status. It's about making disciples of all the nations. That's what it's all about. And so why I'm presenting this to you is because we need to have a clear vision and an effective understanding of what it means to be single and how valuable singles are to the body of Christ. And I'll just tell you from my own personal study on this, I think there's some room for growth in my life. I think there's room for growth in our church. I have been deeply convicted as I've been studying singles and reading singles that I think I've missed some things. And maybe we have as a church not quite seen singles like God does. This text calls us to a vision of his glory of how he's using singles in his kingdom. There's an author by the name of Paula Marsteller. Um, She is actually now married, but she was single for a good part of her life. Uh, She wrote in her book, Confessions of a Boy-Crazy Girl, on her journey from neediness to freedom. Uh, I didn't know there were boy-crazy girls, but I guess she was one of them. She wrote of her experiences. Oh, there are others, huh? Okay, all right. And she asked the question, what are some of the greatest ways we could actually bless and support singles in the church? I want to bring these to you. Listen to what she said. A lot of them centered on hospitality. Like, for instance, she says, invite them, singles, to sit with you rather than sitting alone. Listen to what she wrote. When I was single, Sundays were the loneliest day of the week for me. As I sat surrounded by happy-looking married couples and families. I want you to listen to that. We're the church. Sunday, are you serious? Is the loneliest day for you? Friends, that might even be the case for us here at Fellowship. We need to take some steps of growth. We have got to get outside of our comfort zone. It's not just all about us. We have to expand the borders of our hearts and When we see singles like, well, I'm sure they're just happy all there by themselves. You know what I'm saying? No. They may want to be by themselves, but have you asked them, hey, would you come sit with us? I don't know their name. Guess what? Ask them their name. They have one. They'll share it with you. They don't bite. You might make some really good friends that way, right? We need to take steps of growth in this area. That statement really bothers me. When I was single, Sundays were the loneliest day of the week for me as I sat surrounded by happy-looking married couples and families. Listen to another one. If you're in church leadership, examine your upcoming events and make sure they're geared to all people in general, not just toward married people or parents. And I'm talking with different singles in our church. I found out that, you know what, indeed we've had events that they would actually really like to be at, but you know what, we just never actually included an invitation for them. That's changing. I've already started talking with our staff. We need to take this to heart. Here's another way of supporting singles. Celebrate the milestones of singles in your small group, like their birthdays or moving into their own place. 
One single pointed out, listen to this. Our accomplishments are often ignored. We don't get showers, registries, and parties. We are no one's priority. And that often makes us invisible in the church. Really? We can do better. And then another one. She writes, ask a single at church if they have plans for the next holiday. And if not, invite them to your home. Friends, I write these things to you because I think God is challenging us to take the next steps of growth. We need to see all of us as kingdom citizens, and we are in this together. But remember this, singleness paints an image of Christ's sufficiency. It is really a profound picture of the gospel. Whether that person wants to be single, they understand singleness is my calling, I'm gifted, I get it, or maybe they don't really want to be single, but they are. It, I tell you what, in ways that marriage can't reflect, shows the all-sufficiency of Jesus. If four out of ten American adults are single, man, I tell you what, what a powerful testimony of the gospel of singles who are thriving because of the all-sufficiency of Jesus and loved, appreciated, and esteemed by a church that has a kingdom vision of what God is doing in the world. But Nathan Cowles writes this, the Hollywood-reinforced view of singleness comes into play, that the hero after he's done battle, has faced down incredible odds, and now, well, he gets the girl. For the story to feel complete, he must have a significant other at his side, right? And then he said this, this is what the world believes, and it has led so many people to pursue relationships just to be in one, rather than because they've actually found the right one. So it's really swimming upstream to be a Christian single, choosing contentment, believing that great things can be accomplished in life without that special someone along for the ride. And I think it can be an incredible witness to a world in which many people begrudgingly find themselves single. That in Christ, and because of Christ, it is possible to be single and satisfied. What a marvelous opportunity to point people to the all-sufficient Jesus. So friends, I'm calling us to action that we would have a a greater appreciation for the singles in our midst, and that we are together, married people and singles, moving forward in ministry. Remember this relationship with Jesus awakens us to value the significance of singleness. And one of the singles in our church, when I told her this statement, she said, you know, the converse is also true. The significance of singleness can awaken us to the, val- the value of relationship with Jesus. Now, what we're going to do right now is um, I'm going to give you an opportunity to actually hear from a few singles in our church. So if you're going to be on our panel, and for those of you who are going to help me uh, transform this stage here, um, if you guys want to come up here, uh, I just want you to hear a little bit of their story. Thank you, Todd. Great, thank you. All right. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Andrew. I appreciate that. All right. So 
I would imagine that you recognize uh, these people. Uh, we have a lot of singles in our church. Uh, these three have been so kind and gracious and willing to be able just to share a little bit uh, about their story. So if you would maybe just tell us your name and share a little bit of your journey and your story. If you want to start first, Camille, okay? Sure. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Camille Beckham, and I'm single. Um, I Growing up, I think that the expectation as it is for most of us, probably was that I would get married when I got older. Um, But there wasn't a lot of pressure, which I'm really grateful for. And a couple of things as I look back that my parents instilled in me and those who were discipling me instilled in me that were relevant was, um, one, that my identity had to be rooted in Christ. My identity could not be rooted in another person whether that was a spouse or a friend or anyone, that first and foremost, my identity had to be rooted in Christ. And the second thing was that my life wasn't my own anymore. Once I became a Christian, that meant giving my life to Christ, that the Lord was my king and my Lord, as well as my savior and my father and my friend and my love. Mm. And that meant my life belonged to him. So whatever he wanted was what I wanted for my life. And that was something I grew in as I was growing up also. So as I got to college and was starting to pray more about how the Lord would be directing me in terms of my career, uh, I really felt a sense of his calling into foreign mission work with deaf people. And so I moved ahead in that direction, and that's that's still where I am today. Uh But I also thought I wasn't really rushing into marriage because my parents had gotten married at 29, and I thought, well, that's a good age. Maybe maybe I'll aim for that. But 29 came and went, and I was still single. And a few years later, the opportunity came up for me to be married. And so I brought that before the Lord, as I brought many other decisions before the Lord and prayed about it. And part of my prayer was, uh, Lord, I know that marriage is a ministry. And you've called me to this ministry with deaf people. Are you calling me to reduce the time and energy that I'm putting into that ministry to also focus on the ministry of marriage? And the Lord, in his beautiful ways of communicating with us through his word and his people and his spirit, said to me with so much love and so much tenderness that that was not what he had for me, that his best for me was to continue with full focus on on the deaf ministry and to remain single. And so there was great joy in that, and there's still great joy in that. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Okay, Kathy. Okay, I'm Kathy McDonald, and I um, have been listening to the sermons for the last three weeks, and I kind of fit into each of the categories. I was married in the church, I was married with a family in the church, and now I'm a single in the church. My um, husband passed away, and so I am single not by choice, but because the Lord's calling to my husband. Uh, my name is Andrew Aguilar, and, uh, you know, growing up, I always measured success would be getting married, starting a family, and, uh, you know, so that's kind of what I did. And I knew early on in my life I was called to be in law enforcement. I wanted to be a police officer. Um, but being a being a young father, I devoted all my time to working and providing and uh, had no time to, to follow my career path. Um, and so unfortunately, not by choice, but unfortunately, I was, I'm, you know, ended up divorcing. And so um, with that, it 
I mainly focused on raising children. And so wasn't able to get into the career path just yet, just yet. But once they got up and got sufficient, self-sufficient, then, then I was able to pursue uh, and enter into my career uh, of choice. And then also I have plenty of opportunities to serve. And as most of you know, I you know, play the drums. And uh, so, yeah that's, yeah, that's great. Okay. So I'd like to ask you, where do you see God in your singleness? If you would just share, you know, maybe from the heart, your experiences, where do you see God at work in your singleness? Could you do that? Want to start us, Kimmy? Okay, thanks. I think one thing that the Lord has really highlighted to me through my singleness, and also through working cross-culturally, but certainly through my singleness, is that he is my one constant. Everything else in my life can change. People can change, situations can change, culture can change, but he is my one constant. And uh, that's true for all of us. But I think being single just highlights it a little more for me. Sometimes when I'm overseas, particularly, people will ask me if I'm married, and I'll say, no, I'm single. And they'll say, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, you're all alone. (laughs) And I say, no, Jesus is with me. I'm never alone. So for me, just part of the sermon, you highlighted that um, you get to have a diversity of friendships that you would not normally have. And um, because of the time that I have, I have a kind of a large bandwidth of time that I am able to um, make friends with people, women that are not in the church, and um, help them in times of crisis and be able to care for them and pick them up from the hospital or, you know, just do... um, what I was called to do. I'm a Enneagram too, which I'm a servant helper. And I, that's just the way the Lord made me. And I would not be able to do what I do if I had a family to care for. The other part is just, um, when William first passed away, people were trying to fill my time with activities And I ended up taking a job as a request of a friend here in church. And I teach three days a week, and their mom and daddies teach them the other two days. And there's been some crisis situations in their families that, um, and beside the pandemic, I porch taught for throughout the pandemic because I had the time to. It's just me. So I was able to do that. And um, just when life is topsy-turvy, I've been able to, they'll text and say, we just can't get through it. And I'll just come over and do it for them. So it's just a, a, a ministry I would not be able to do if I was not single. I, I would say for me, uh, looking back, understanding that I was able to devote my time to my children. Mm-hmm. I was able to step into the career path. Um, I'm able to, to serve. Yeah. Um, and, and also been able to unlock some hidden talents I didn't know I had mm. had I you know not had the time to to be creative with my hands and so um, yeah that's yeah you know I appreciate you guys taking time to, to share insights and this these people are really humble like I know them well there are things that they they could tell you of how God is using them in very significant ways some of their ministries simply couldn't be done if they were married the, the dangers or the difficulties or the challenges that they might face or just the uniqueness of their situations. And we have a lot of singles in our church. And I'll tell you, what, there are, many of them are just very ministry and missions-minded. We've got one guy who's 80 years old. And he's been meeting with me about God's call on his life as a single for his next ministry. How cool is that, huh? So friends, 
As we've gone through this, this has been a growth experience for me. I think it's a growth opportunity for all of us. But we want you to know how much we value you, all of you singles, the ones on stage, the many of you who are here and present, and even those who are watching. And we want you to know how valuable you are to the kingdom of God, and thank you. So could I just close our time in prayer?